Hello and welcome to the Cytokine Signaling Forum author interview podcast for January, even though we are now in February. I'm Professor Peter Nash and today I'm talking to Professor Peter Taylor from the Botnar Research Centre and University of Oxford about his paper looking at the effects of baricitinib on lymphocyte subsets in rheumatoid arthritis. Welcome Peter and thank you for your time today. We know how busy you are. This study investigated changes in lymphocyte cell subsets during treatment with baricitinib and tried to correlate these changes with clinical outcomes. In brief, the data were pooled from three phase three trials and, three, and one long-term extension study, RA Beam, Build, Beacon and Beyond. The blood samples were collected over 104 weeks and analyzed for total lymphocyte count and lymphocyte subsets. So uh, congratulations on this paper, Peter. Can you just give us a bit of a background to the study and why it was important to do this study? Well, uh, hi, Peter. Thank you very much indeed for the question. Well, of course, the study was concerning um, a new small molecule drug for which the target was Janus kinase uh, enzymes 1 and 2. Uh, this drug's baricitinib. And we wanted to take the opportunity of looking at a very large data set across the phase three trial program. We, we selected three uh, trials in the phase three program in which there was concomitant uh, conventional synthetic DMARD on board with the patients as well as baricitinib. And we looked at a long-term extension study and wanted to ask the question, is there any obvious change in circulating lymphocyte populations and of course, this is important with respect to our wish as practicing clinicians to monitor responses to therapy and in particular to monitor safety issues. Thanks, Peter. We, we were a bit concerned from the tofacitinib data that if we let the lymph, total lymphocyte count drop under 500, there was an increased risk of opportunist infection. Did you see anything which correlated between changes and adverse events like infection? Well, it's an interesting question, and thanks for that, Peter. And of course, it's why when we designed the studies that we had an exclusion for a total lymphocyte counts at baseline below a certain level. And indeed, we had criteria for withdrawing patients should their lymphocyte counts drop below a set level. But in actual fact, the data really um, was surprisingly reassuring. Um, so we looked in detail at changes in the lymphocyte populations. And um, in summary, but perhaps if you like, we can go into this in more detail. But in summary, there was a transient rise in total lymphocyte counts initially, which then returned back down towards baseline by about week 12. But when we looked at the relationship between uh, lymphocyte counts in total, but also some of the subpopulations and infections. Generally speaking, there were not obvious relationships, but nonetheless, there were some observations which I'll highlight. So for example, uh, we noticed an initial rise in natural killer cells, and then this after about four weeks of rising levels, the levels tended to decrease below the baseline levels and stabilize over time. And what we found was that there was an increase of um, non-serious infections in the baricitinib groups versus the placebo plus conventional synthetic DMARD groups. And 
there was a relationship, a weak relationship between low natural killer cell levels, if, if there were low levels recorded on more than one occasion, and non-serious uh, infectious events. But what we didn't see, very gratifyingly, was any relationship between uh, low natural killer cell levels and herpes zoster or for serious infectious events. And, and the same uh, was true, in fact, across other lymphocyte populations. That's really fascinating because typhus hidden again seems to contrast NK cells change in a complicated way, but tend to drop and, and sort of almost progressively go down over time. And I was never clear if the opportunist infection risk was an NK cell change or a total lymphocyte reduction change, but baricitinib seems to, to affect lymphocytes quite differently. Yes, I mean, it is an interesting observation. And, and I think what we often learn and have learned really with all the targeted therapies that have become available is that, of course, um, they were developed because we knew there was some relationship between the target itself and the pathobiology of the disease. But once we have the targeted therapy available, it really allows us to use them not only as probes of pathogenesis, but better understanding any related adverse events and whether there are differences in targeting receptor and targeting ligand and in targeting signaling pathways and in different components of the signaling pathways. And it's not easy to predict at baseline how these things will pan out. The other thing I think that's a really important comment to make is that when we look at clinical trial data in particular, but this baricitinib lymphocyte data um, specifically, of course, we're looking at cohort-level data, so we're looking at the mean changes, and there's quite a bit of variation from one individual to another, and we haven't, uh, I think, as clinicians yet developed the sophistication to be able to predict individual basis toxicities. But what we, we saw with the natural killer cell uh, population in this study is, is this transient rise um, that peaked at about four weeks, then it goes down a little bit below baseline at 12 weeks, but with quite a bit of variation from one individual to another. And broadly speaking, out to about a year, the two doses of baricitinib, two and four milligrams, behave about the same. But by the end of two years, at 104 weeks or so, um, in fact, there is a statistically significant reduction um, below baseline of, of the baricitinib, four milligram group. But it's, um, it's slight. The two, the two doses behave similarly. The, the other point we mustn't forget is that we're just looking at cell number. What we haven't done in this study and what's in fact very difficult to do is to look at cell function. And so as you point out, there appear to be differences in, in the tofacitinib data set and the baricitinib data set. But to really understand these, we need to go beyond just looking at cell number alone in the circulation and understand the function of these, these cell populations and any changes that, that um, signal inhibition makes. That's a very important comment. Did the other, you've already touched on it. Is there a dose response between two and four on these changes? Well, generally speaking, not. So actually, as we're, we're speaking, Peter, I'm looking at, at the graphs um, which our, our listeners can look at for themselves in, in the papers. Um, but, but the bottom line is that where there's data for both the two and the four milligram groups, they behave very similarly. So looking at, at total lymphocyte counts, uh, really they're almost overlapping. 
um, implying that, that there's no obvious dose response. And the same is true with respect to subsets CD3, CD8. Um, we, we see a little bit of difference uh, numerically, but with very large confidence interval overlaps in TH17 counts, um, where in fact uh, that the um, changes from baseline go, it goes down a little bit more in the two milligram dose than, than it does in the four milligram dose. And, and similarly, there's a, there is a statistical uh, difference from baseline in the four milligram dose for natural killer cells at two years, but, but they're, they're pretty similar. Um, the, the other cell type that changes uh, and really was notable in our study was the B cell population. Because in the case of the B cell population, there's a rise which peaks at about four weeks. And that rise, although it comes down a little bit, it, it's maintained above baseline levels right out to two years. And again, the two and the four milligram dose for total B cell count, CD19 B cell, seems to, to uh, be very similar. If you look at switched memory B cells, um, because we used flow cytometry to look at subpopulations of these cells, then in fact, Numerically speaking, the four milligram dose rises more than the two milligram dose. And, and there is a weak relationship, interestingly, between therapeutic response and rise in these B cells. Um, quite what that means at, at this stage, I think, is open to interpretation. Fascinating because we're desperate for a good biomarker to follow for response, aren't we? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There is a note in the paper that CD3 plus 4 plus CD8 plus cells decrease below baseline over weeks 96 to 104 and that you need a little bit of longer-term data. Yeah. Um, do you think, what, what will that longer-term data add, if you know what I mean, to the practicing clinician as far as efficacy or adverse events? Are you, are you expecting any result of change over time if we follow this out for five years, 10 years? Yeah, so another great question. So I think there are several aspects to this that I'd like to address. So the first point is um, that based on really very detailed observational studies in the trial so far and in real-world data, what we're not seeing is any increase in serious infectious events or opportunist events with cumulative exposure to drug at either of the doses. And I think that's, to my mind, that's highly reassuring and very relevant. And we have data now that extends over five or six years from that point of view. But specifically to your question, could there be any relationship uh, between reductions in cell populations over time that might be going down at a very slow rate? And, and so far we're not seeing it. So my prediction is that this is not going to be a problem because we're not actually seeing the clinical correlates. But I think in terms of due diligence, but also understanding the biology, and bearing in mind, as you and I both know, Peter, many of our patients um, will do well on a given targeted therapy for some time and then may need to switch for various reasons after uh, a few years. We, we, we have a responsibility to understand what the monitoring means and whether there might be any long-term signals that would suggest that it's time to, to change the drug. So far, um, I'm not aware of any such signal that's emerged, and, and that's true at a cohort level with, with all the JAK inhibitors. But, but of course, again, we're both aware that in those rare patients, the subpopulations where the lymphocyte counts dip down below a certain level, that would be a, a, a signal to stop. 
But at the cohort level, there, there doesn't appear to be um, any suggestion that there's going to be a, a, a cumulative detriment over time. Okay, that's great. Uh, the B cell change is certainly fascinating. It would be lovely to know if the B cell changes correlated with changes in ACFA or rheumatoid factor and efficacy. It, there's no string to tie those things together in this particular study? Well, it's a great question, Peter. And again, we've got some indirect evidence that, that perhaps raises some other questions. But what we've seen with baricitinib is that ACFA and rheumatoid factor teeters go down with baricitinib. They're not completely abrogated, but they go down. And what that may be suggesting is that there's certainly no hint that the rise in, B, in total B cells is in any way linked to um, a pathogenic flare in disease. In fact, quite the contrary. The, when we looked at the um, relationships and correlations between B cell numbers and improvement, what we observed was that there is a, a statistically significant but rather weak relationship between improvement in uh, DAS28 CRP and, and rise in B cells. So that in itself is interesting. And we've got some little hints in this study because we did look at, at switched memory B cells and it's possible that that, that population's expanding. Um, it, it could be the reason for that is related to uh, the reduction of type 1 and 2 interferon drive by inhibiting JAK1 and 2. But of course, this is completely speculative. What, what we've done in this study is made observations, and from those observations, we can generate hypotheses. But I think from the perspective of the practicing clinician, and, and certainly for me as a prescriber of this drug, these overall are really very reassuring observations because there's nothing to suggest at a cohort level that you know, we're seeing a significant worsening in, in disease or uh, a penalty in, in terms of um, lymphocyte-related toxicity. Excellent. Thank you, Peter, because that was the final question. What's the take-away message for the clinician from this study that you've uh, so kindly done? Well, my, my feeling is that overall the message is one of reassurance. There are some modest changes in um, total lymphocytes and lymphocyte subpopulations following baricitinib, um, which overall is reflected in, in, in a transient rise initially, perhaps due to a demargination effect. And then this tends to drop down uh, uh, towards baseline levels. And overall, at a cohort level, we don't see changes that deviate from the normal limits uh, of the cell population numbers. There isn't a clear-cut relationship um, between serious infections or opportunistic infections and changes in lymphocytes, either total or subsets. But there is uh, a relationship between uh, a low NK cell numbers and non-serious infections. So I think that the overall message is one of reassurance. The other very practical message is what should we do about monitoring patients on these drugs? And actually, I think these data make it quite easy for us. What I do in my practice, and I suspect you're the same, Peter, is that I just do what I would for patients on conventional synthetic DMARDs. So at the 12-week time point, the additional thing I do is look for lipids in any of these JAK inhibitors, um, and I would think about starting statins if required, if the lipid levels go up significantly. 
but overall, um, with respect to lymphocyte monitoring, hematological monitoring, I just do what I would do for a conventional synthetic DMARS and keep up that monitoring over time. And I think the data in this paper is reassuring that that's an adequate um, safety monitoring. I agree entirely. And I think the one thing I've taken home from the TOFA data, and I'm not as clear with the Barry data, um, I try to keep the lymphocyte count above 500, whether it's cyclosporin, azathioprine, leflunamide, and now the JAKS, just to reduce that possible risk of opportunist infection. And I think that's a really important point you raise, because certainly in my country, um, much of the blood monitoring is often done by the general practitioner, and I think it's very important where that happens, that the rheumatologist has clear guidelines and recommendations to guide our colleagues in primary care, because there's a danger that if the lymphocyte count falls below 1,000, um, that drugs can be stopped unnecessarily into the great detriment of the benefit the patient might have from the drug. Whereas if you do get a, a small drop, but it's stable uh, with repeated monitoring, then actually I'm quite comfortable about that. And, and of course, we're very familiar with that in the context of methotrexate and other drugs that, that we use. So it's a, a very good point to emphasize. Thank you very much for your time and trouble again, Peter. This has been the uh, Cytokine Signaling Forum January Author Podcast. If you'd like to know more about this paper and others uploaded to the CSF website this month, a detailed slide sets are available in the publication section at cytokinesignaling.com. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or other podcast media and give us some feedback and let us know what you think. Thank you very much for your time, Peter. You too, Peter. Take care.